can turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where we will be looking over the next couple of weeks at verses 6 to 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not weary, do not grow weary of doing good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of truth. And Lord, I I pray as we now look deeper into this passage that, Lord, you would help us to understand it well, that you would cause us to be convicted by it, and that, Lord, you would help us to apply it to our lives. We pray this in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. My dad was born in 1942, right at the tail end of what is called the silent generation. That would be those born from 26 to 42. It was named that way because they were raised during a period of war and economic depression. They're also known as traditionalists. Here are some of the traits of those that grew up during this period. They are loyal. Unlike Generation X and Generation Y or Millennials, many traditionalists worked for the same employer their entire life and were less likely to change jobs to advance their careers. They are also loyal to their country. Secondly, they are known to be respectful The silent generation was raised to respect authority. They are excellent team players and generally don't rock the boat or create conflict in the workplace. Number three, (laughs) they're not technologically advanced. (laughs) It's not surprising that traditionalists are slow to change their work habits. Most are not as technologically adept as the younger generations. Four, they value tradition. This generation values traditional morals and support conformity and consistency. They respect the chain of command and prefer in-person interactions to online and web-based exchanges. And number five, they work hard. Raised by turn-of-the-century farmers, this generation brought a strong work ethic into the factories of industrialized society. They grew up during lean times and consider work a privilege. 
Their common belief is that hard work and grueling hours are the only way to success. This was my dad. This was his generation. And I would imagine that Paul would fit well into that generation. Loyal to the Lord, respectful, probably not too technologically advanced. He valued tradition as we see in our text and he knew the meaning of hard work. He had an incredible work ethic, one that should be emulated by all of us. Now back to my dad, he grew up in an era where a solid work ethic was the rule, not the exception. And you saw this carry over, I think, too, into our baby boomer generation. And, and I know it's, it's precisely how he raised me. And though I'm a Gen Xer, I've known many Gen Xers who have held on to the same work ethic that was instilled in us as kids. And I would say, unfortunately, this kind of work ethic is seemingly, gosh, all but lost on today's current generation. I'm not saying that we don't have Gen Zers and Millennials here at Calvary Bible Church who don't work hard or have a solid work ethic. I think, I think being a biblically minded Christian does a lot to break one out of those molds. At least it should. And this is what we're going to talk about today and next week, but in kind of a, a, a reverse fashion. Hence the title, An Undisciplined Life versus a disciplined one. We pick up again in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 in the passage we just read, 6 to 13. After Paul has asked for prayer for he and his ministry companions from their Thessalonian brothers and sisters... His uh, first request was that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and it would be glorified just as it was with the Thessalonian believers. Paul's next request was that he and his companions would be rescued from evil and perverse non-believers. He then turned the tables and offered a prayer of his own for the Thessalonians that our faithful Lord would strengthen and protect them from the evil one, namely Satan. And then the last part of his prayer was for the Thessalonians continued obedience and that their hearts would be directed into the love of God and into the the steadfastness of Christ. And this brings us now to a section of the letter where Paul, before he signs off, wants to make sure that he addresses um, what he saw as being some problems in the church. Now, generally speaking, the church at Thessalonica was an extremely solid, biblically-minded church. Paul spent time in both letters commending the church. If you remember back in 1 Thessalonians, it was for their work of faith and for their labor of love and steadfastness of hope. They received the gospel with full conviction. They became imitators of the apostles and of the Lord. They were an example to believers in other places. And especially for all of the tribulation that they endured. And then here in 2 Thessalonians, they are again commended for their their greatly enlarged faith. For the growing love they all had for one another. And for their perseverance and faith in the midst of persecutions and sufferings and afflictions. And as we just said, they were also praised for their obedience. 
But as we acknowledged last week, this was not a perfect church. No church is. And now Paul wants to make sure that he deals with with a couple of issues that he's caught wind of. Namely, that there were some in the church who were leading an unruly, undisciplined life. The consequences for this is something else that we want to examine from our text. And how the church should deal with it. The application is a, just has a direct crossover from, from them back then to us here and now in 2022. And we're going to kind of break up this text, like I said, into two parts this week and next. And we'll kick things off with our first point. And that is that we hear from Paul that some, the church, should keep away from unruly, undisciplined Believers, keep away from unruly, undisciplined believers. Look back at verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Now last week we talked about Paul's commands and the fact that his commands are just as authoritative as any other command in the scripture. They're just as authoritative as any other apostle or any other prophet or even Jesus himself. Because ultimately his commands are not coming from him, but who? The Lord, right? It's the Lord's commands. It's also interesting that Paul is giving them this command coming right off of commending them for their obedience and having already done his commands and praying that they will continue to do so. It's kind of like, you know, saying to someone, man, you you are such a servant. You have such a servant's heart. You're always doing things for other people. Hey, would you help me move this weekend? Would you then drive me to LAX? I've always said, you know, your true friends, if they help you move, And they're willing to drive you to LAX. So Paul's already challenging them in their continued obedience. You guys have have obeyed. I need you to obey some more. Some more. And he lays it on pretty thick here. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You go, oh man, he is is invoking the name of names. And yes, he is. Because this is something he did not want taken away. Lightly, he didn't want them to think, well, yeah, this is just Paul. It's just Paul. Sure, it's a command, but, you know, we can kind of do it if we want to or maybe we won't. No, he wanted them to know that this command came with the full authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what is this command? Verse six, again, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Now, we know when Paul uses this word brother, he's referring to other professing believers in the church versus talking about or dealing with unbelievers outside the church. That's not who he's dealing with. And this is very important to recognize this difference. And I'll, I'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute, okay? First, let's make sure we understand what it means when he says um, that they have been leading an unruly life. The word for lead simply means to walk, 
Paul uses it metaphorically to refer to one's life, one's manner of living. In this case, they are leading an unruly life. And the root word there literally means to break ranks, as in a soldier, or to behave irregularly or in a disorderly manner, to neglect one's duties. Kind of like going AWOL, right? I came across a story about a an airman who had died in an accident, and then the leadership gave some of the other soldiers uh, free leave to attend his funeral back in the airman's hometown. One guy didn't return after a few days, and, and nobody actually recalls seeing him at the funeral. He finally just walks back into work one day on the base and, and claims that he couldn't make it to the funeral because, well, somebody stole his phone. And a brief look on his Facebook page showed otherwise. It showed him partying it up in his hometown in a different state. While he was standing in front of his superior, someone thought to dial his phone and, you guessed it, it started ringing in his pocket. The phone that he claimed was stolen. He had broke ranks, behaving irregularly and neglecting his duty. Now back to our text, this word unruly can also be translated as undisciplined as we will see in verse 11 it's the exact same phrase as a matter of fact and down in verse 11 if you skip down there it says for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life doing no work at all but acting like busybodies ah so paul elaborates on the unruly undisciplined lives that some in the thessalonian church were leading saying that they were doing no work at all And we're acting like busybodies. Now, we're going to get to busybodies next week. In terms of the work that that they weren't doing, work uh, is referred to um, oftentimes in the the New Testament scriptures as being farming. They lived in an agrarian society. Farming was kind of the mainstay, the main way of life. It was... uh, common job to have some kind of a farming job but work here can also refer to generally any kind of work or labor in this case there were those who decided that they didn't need to work at all literally none nothing not even a little bit reminds me of the personnel manager who rejected a job applicant because the firm was just overstuffed But the would-be employee persisted. But the little bit of work I do won't even be noticed. You say, well, what's up with that? How could somebody do no work at all? Why would, you know, why would they not work? Why would they, why would they eat others' bread without paying for it? How could they mooch off off somebody else? And and first thought takes me back to Acts chapter 2. You could go ahead and turn there. Keep your bookmark here. And just uh, turn back to Acts chapter 2. Two for a second, we might get a little better understanding of of how this could have happened. This is the day of Pentecost, and and the, you know the Holy Spirit has been there and had the tongues of fire, and and then you have the uh, the disciples being able to speak in all the different languages, and then Peter gets up and just bam unloads this is incredible. Uh, sermon and many start coming to faith in fact 3,000 people come to faith that day and we pick up in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 44 and uh, uh, Luke writes this Acts two forty four. 
And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all, sharing them Uh, Excuse me, sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And I'm thinking, well, maybe not all were sincere. This could be a great opportunity for freeloaders, right? It's kind of a a very easy situation for someone to take advantage of. They just kind of let everyone else do all the work. They let everyone else prepare the meals. They show up when it's dinner time and they just kind of pop around from house to house. Always the dinner guest, but never the host. Now, ultimately, we're talking about what here? We're talking about a heart issue for these folks that were unruly and undisciplined. A heart issue. And I, well, it could be several heart issues, but the one that kind of, you know, forces its way up to the surface and becomes very obvious would be laziness. Laziness. The scriptures, especially Proverbs, couldn't be more clear about the fact that laziness, slothfulness, being a sluggard is a sin. There's just no way around it. And it carries with it. When you read some of these passages, some very practical consequences. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. Of course, Solomon wrote the majority of Proverbs, writing them to his son. In Proverbs 24, and we're going to start in verse 30. Here's what we read. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. Now, I would just have you notice a few things here about the sluggard, the lazy person. Well, the sluggard is someone who is lazy. And they are equated also with somebody who lacks sense. They are not sensible they are not very wise the sluggard's field also is not in any condition to produce a crop it's overgrown it's got the nettles and the thistles the walls are broken down thirdly the sluggard who rests more than they work because that's what they do rest more than they work is actually inviting poverty and want into their lives proverbs 20 and verse 4 says the sluggard does not plow after the autumn. So he begs during the harvest and has nothing. In other words, he didn't take care of business and get his field ready to go. So now his only option is to beg for food. Proverbs 21 and verse 5, it says the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. But everyone who is hasty comes surely 
to poverty. In other words, diligence brings opportunity and advantage. And those who go for a quick fix will end up with nothing. I should say, by the way, Proverbs are general truths that we are to understand. It's not hard, fast uh, rules for each and every person. They are more general truths that we need to embrace. Proverbs 15 and verse 19 says, The way of the lazy is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. So think about it. I mean, would you rather travel on a path of thorns or a path clear of debris? The lazy person is inviting difficulty. Proverbs 22, verse 13, the sluggard says, Oh, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. In other words, they make excuses. And lame ones at that. Lion in the streets, right? Proverbs 26, and verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. In other words, the sluggard thinks his way is best and will not listen to wise counsel. Turn to Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6. This might be a familiar passage to some of you. We'll begin in verse 6. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Where we read, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Now, we'll get to the ant next week. But let's continue to focus on the sluggard. And in this passage, we see that again, the sluggard's ways are not good. He is not using good wisdom. He is not using good judgment. The sluggard likes to take lots of naps when he should be working. He rests again more than he labors. And again, we see that the result will be poverty. The result will be they will be in need. Now, just speaking of sleep for a minute, Proverbs has much to say about this too. For instance, back in Proverbs 6, verse 4, it says, Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. This is in the context of being lazy. The author is not suggesting that we don't need sleep or that sleep is not a good thing. In fact, sleep is given to us by God, reminding us that we just can't do everything on our own, that our bodies need rest. And it's a way that we show trust and dependence upon God. This is sleep that would be, you know, above and beyond what's necessary. It's when it becomes an excuse for being lazy. Now, you know, we want to encourage people to obviously come to church. And if you are one on our live stream and you are in the comfort of your bed and in your jammies with your cup of coffee, when you are an able-bodied person who could be here in church, get to church. We miss you. We love you. We want you here. Not to say that there aren't legitimate reasons for being 
at home. But Proverbs 20 and verse 13 says, Do not love sleep or you will become poor. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with food. In other words, sleep as laziness produces poverty while opening up your eyes and working hard does what? It brings provision. You are providing for yourself. Proverbs 23 and verse 21. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. For the one who forsakes work in order to get drunk or eat gluttonously and then sleep, poverty will come to them and they will have only rags to wear. In other words, basic provision will elude them. Now, while the context of 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 13 is primarily in regard to not working and laziness and being a sluggard, being unruly and undisciplined and having cell phones on in the service can apply to any area of one's life. No, I'm kidding. Including home, school, hobby, sports, eating, drinking, and health. So this can apply to how we are at home. This can apply to how we are at school. This can apply to certainly being unruly, undisciplined, lazy, even in hobbies or sports or eating, drinking health, as we said. How about being unruly or undisciplined in your spiritual life? Your involvement with the church. How about even your speech or thought life being undisciplined or unruly? Now, there's something else to consider here because people can be lazy or undisciplined in a general sense, meaning just kind of, you know, all areas, all aspects of their life. They're lazy when it comes to work and they're lazy around the house and they're lazy when it comes to school and they're lazy about their relationships. And, you know, the list goes on kind of thing. But then there are also those who find themselves struggling with with laziness in maybe a particular area of their life. Maybe you labor hard at work, but man, you just come home and you're just a sluggard around the house. Or maybe you labor well at home, but you're undisciplined in your eating and drinking. Maybe you're undisciplined with your physical health, but but not so much when it comes to spiritual matters. You're, You're solid there. Your job, friends, is to evaluate yourself this morning... And see if you have areas like these, areas where you might find yourself to be undisciplined, unruly, or lazy. Excuse me. Now let's get back to our text. And the fact that in verse 6, Paul commands the believers in the church to keep away from, literally avoid, every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 9. As we consider what it means to keep away from or avoid these brothers and sisters who might lead an unruly or undisciplined life, especially in the area of work. Now, here in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 9 to 13, we understand that we are not to judge outsiders as Christians, right? We can't expect 
unbelievers to act like believers. They're unbelievers, right? But we are to judge those inside the church, those professing to be Christians. We pick up 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Paul says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters. He's talking about those outside the church. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. He's talking about people who these are the habitual practices of their lives. And that's why he says so-called brother, because chances are they might not really be a brother or a sister in the Lord, that they're not a true believer. They're merely professing to be. Verse 12, he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? The implied answer is I have nothing to do with judging outsiders. They're outsiders. Do you not judge those who are within the church? The implied answer being yes, you do. But those who are outside, God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Now, there's a couple of things I want us to consider looking back to our Thessalonians passage. The first is that Paul specifically commands believers to keep away from or avoid other believers, or we could say professing believers, who are leading these unruly, undisciplined lives where, again, primarily work is concerned. You go, why would he do this? Why, why, would he, why would he command us this way? Well, there's a couple of reasons. And this would directly apply to us. First, we don't want to enable someone by kind of just allowing them to mooch off of others and, and get what they want without working for it themselves or by being a burden to others. And this is an extremely uh, important principle for anyone to learn, I would suggest, especially at a young age. So we stay away from them. And we encourage others to do the same because they are doing this sinfully, sinfully. Secondly, we look back to 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and there Paul says this, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, if you continue to hang around with those that are habitually unruly and undisciplined and lazy people like this, then guess what? You are actually in danger of becoming like them yourself. Let me ask you this. If you get a job at Starbucks and you spend the day working at Starbucks, at the end of the day, what are you, what are you going to smell like? Coffee, right? Coffee. If you are a firefighter and you are working on a forest fire at the end of the day, what would you expect to smell like? Smoke. Let me give you one more. If you, as a healthy person, show up to a hospital, do you think it's more likely that your good health is going to help somebody who's sick get well? Or do you think there's a better chance that whatever sickness they have will get transferred to you? Exactly. It will get transferred to you. And so it is where bad company is concerned. It is more likely that you will succumb to their bad behavior than they will succumb to your 
good behavior if you're just going and hanging out and just pals and, hey, everything's hunky-dory and cool with you being undisciplined and unruly. Now, the other thing we have to consider from our passage and the one we read from in 1 Corinthians 5 about judging those inside the church is that as far as we encounter a professing believer inside the church who is involved in one of these sins, what do we need to do for them? We need to call them to repentance, right? We need to lovingly but firmly show them the error of their ways, Biblically speaking, and we ask them to repent and to change their ways. We see this in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. In other words, case closed, it's done. Verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And then verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, in case you're wondering, well, which is it? Which is it? Do I, do I stay away from them? Do I avoid them? Or do I go to them and, 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 and Matthew 18, you know, and talk to them? Well, okay, let's look at it this way. Here's what you don't do. All right. You don't hang around with them and never call them to repentance. Right. You don't you don't hang around with them acting like, oh, nothing's wrong, you know. And friends, I know I know we don't like to confront our brothers and sisters. We we just don't. We don't like to confront them in their sin. But here's the thing. If we truly love them. Then confronting them. In a I would say at first gentle, kind, loving way. That is the most loving thing you could do for them. That is the way that you could show them you love them in in the best possible biblical ways. Now, we'll have more on dealing with the sinning brother or sister next week as well. But before we move on in our our verse 6 here, Paul says one more thing. At the end of verse 6, he says, Keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Whereas we have the completed canon of Scripture, right? The Bible, and that is our standard. That is our, that is our benchmark. That is everything we need for life and godliness, for, for faith and the practicing of that faith. They had the traditions of the apostles. Things that they received from Paul, Silas, Timothy, the others. Remember back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul said, "So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions." Tradition, tradition, right? And break out into song. Tevier comes marching out here. Hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. In other words, the traditions taught by Paul and his associates are indeed the very word of God. They are authoritative in every respect, whether Paul was sharing with them by word or by letter or by his own example. And those who were leading the unruly, undisciplined lives were not obeying the teaching that they had received from Paul and the others. Now, we might ask what traditions, teaching and example, had they given to them? Well, that's our next point. Point number two, follow godly examples, which also means that you are to be a godly 
example. We see this in verses 7 to 9. Follow godly examples and be a godly example. Look back at verse 7 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Now, let's let's first ask how it was that Paul and company were examples of not acting in an undisciplined manner, especially in this area of work. And remember again that undisciplined is the exact same word for unruly. Well, back in Acts 18, verses 1 to 3, we find out that Paul, along with ministry partners Aquila and Priscilla, were what by trade? Tent makers, right? They made tents. And this was how he supported himself. And he did so with just an extremely strong work ethic. As he said in verses 7 to 8, he was disciplined, (coughs) excuse me, in his work. He provided for himself. He worked night and day in order to do so. We see this work ethic in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 11 to 12, when Paul says, To this present hour we were both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless, and we toil, working with our own hands. He also doesn't want he and his co-laborers to be a burden to the Thessalonian believers. Things were tough all over and he never wanted them to feel obligated to take care of, of he and, and his, uh, his band of brothers. You might remember how in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, he said, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim the gospel of God. Now, another reason for Paul's strong work ethic is that Paul never wanted to do anything that would malign the gospel. The gospel was always his first concern. The good news of Jesus Christ was always the priority. He never wanted to be in a position where where anyone could, say, try and accuse him of profiting off the gospel. He wanted to be above reproach. He also, also never wanted them to feel... Like, you know, he took advantage of them. That in sharing the gospel with them, then, then they somehow owed him something. Back in Acts 20, verses 33 to 34, when saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, he said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. <clears throat> and one last reason was that Paul wanted to be a good example to them. He wanted to be a good model for them. He wanted to model a strong work ethic, providing for oneself and not being a burden to others. And what's amazing about this fact, and he tells us in this text, is that he could have. He could have charged for his services, in a sense. According to verse 9, he, Silas, and Timothy didn't have to work to support themselves. It would have been in their right to have had food, lodging provided for them by the Thessalonians, even remuneration for the gospel ministry that they were bringing to them. 
we see this principle of being able to earn a living as preachers and teachers of the gospel elsewhere in the scripture. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. It's always a weird one for a preacher to talk about, but, but it's the word of God. It's the word of God. So we see this 1 Corinthians verse nine, uh, chapter 9, excuse me, beginning in verse 3. And here Paul is having to defend his apostleship. Defend his apostleship. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 3, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas is, of course, Peter. Verse 6. Or do only... Uh, i got to check my word here. I think i got a wrong word there. Yeah, no, Barnabas. Uh, or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? The implied answer is, they don't. Or who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? The implied answer, they do. Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Implied answer, of course they use the milk of the flock. Verse 8, I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? That's the Mosaic law, right? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Parentheses here, my own parentheses, meaning feed him. Give the ox his due. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope. Meaning the plowman ought to plow, right? Looking forward to crops for himself. Continuing. And the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you in other words we sowed spiritual things in you is it too much that we would receive some kind of either food lodging remuneration clothes whatever verse 12 if others share the right over you do not do we not more because they're spiritual things right nevertheless we did not use this right but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of christ Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? You know, back then, this was a the gospel was a new thing. This whole idea of 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 telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ was a brand new deal. And Paul just was being extra, extra careful that he did nothing that would would seemingly cause him and people's eyes to not be above reproach where the gospel was concerned. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 to 18, he says again, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So Paul could have received food, he could have received lodging, he could have been been giving financial remuneration for his gospel work, but... He chose not to, again, for the reasons that we have said. This all being said, the point here for us is to also follow Paul's example of not leading an unruly, undisciplined, 
lazy life. And again, the context being especially where work is concerned. We are to use Paul as kind of the model, the epitome of a strong work ethic, providing for our own and not being a burden to others. Now, it stands to reason that if we are to follow godly examples, then guess what? We are also to be godly examples. And that's how, that's kind of the circle of discipleship and, and, and how it all works, right? So, so you, you have somebody in mind and, and you're using them as your example. And, and then maybe they're, you know, pouring into your life too and, and modeling things for you and kind of helping you along and you kind of get built up in the faith. Or in this case, you were an unruly, undisciplined person, lazy in some areas of your life. And now you're learning not to be. And then you get to that point where, guess what? You turn around and then you find somebody else to be a model and example to, right? And then you pour into them and then they, next thing you know, get brought along and then they're ready to turn around and pour into them. And it's just that circle, right? It's that awesome circle of discipleship that just keeps going and going and going and going and going. As Paul said back in Acts 20 and verse 35, in everything... I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. At some point then, you are going to give by being that example and giving and pouring in to others, to someone else, right? So I I stopped there. We're running a little early. That's a good thing because there have been plenty of times where I've kept you late. And, um, and, and because the next point is kind of a bigger one. And, and, and so we'll, we'll get to the rest of our points next week. But, but what are our takeaways for this morning? Number one, evaluate yourself. First, are, are you a professing believer? Or are you a true bona fide believer? Right? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross on your behalf? Have you, have you recognized that you are a sinner who has sinned against a holy, righteous, just God? And because he is holy, righteous, and just, he must punish sin. And the punishment for your sins is literally death and hell. It is the lake of fire for all eternity. But of course, God so loved the world, right? That he gave Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And if you would believe in him, you will not perish. You will not have the consequences of those sins, but you will have eternal life. You need to believe and trust that that, that what he did on the cross indeed paid the price for your sin. That he went into the ground, but three days later he resurrected to glory. Glorified, state glorified body that would live for all eternity. Because that is then what he offers us. Eternal life. Glorified state, glorified body to be and live with him for all eternity if you would repent of your sin turn away from your sin and turn to god turn to christ jesus because the way to god is through the son through the son so i would encourage you to evaluate yourself first and foremost in that regard secondly 
evaluate yourself in the sense of, are you unruly, undisciplined, or lazy, or a sluggard when it comes to any aspect of work? Or are you unruly, undisciplined, lazy, or a sluggard in any part of your life? Go to prayer. Talk to the Lord about it. See if this is true of you in any way, shape, or form. And if it is, then you confess this before the Lord. And, and you come up with a plan for change. And if you need help coming up with that plan, then come talk to one, me or one of the elders or just another spiritually minded, mature brother or sister. Maybe you need to bring another brother or sister into it to kind of give you some added help and some accountability. You know, go to one of them and say, can I talk? Can I take you to coffee? I got to share some things, get some things off my chest because I need, I need a little bit of help here. Thirdly, ask yourself this. Are you following godly examples of those who do not lead unruly, undisciplined, lazy lives and who do have a strong work ethic? Are you striving then to be that example? Is there maybe somebody that you can find or know of to kind of come alongside them or under their wing, you know? And, hey, uh, I was wondering if I could talk to you a little bit about, because I see that, man, you just seem to have a good work ethic and... You know, I was wondering if I could just talk to you about that. And, or is there any brother or sister in the church where you see this as being an issue for them? If so, I want to encourage you to make a plan to go to them, to lovingly talk to them about it. Call them to repentance if necessary. Not forgetting to take that log out of your own eye first, Right? And maybe you can help them with a plan for change. Maybe you can be the example that they need. Maybe this is someone who you can take under your wing. J.C. Ryle has said, Many, I fear, would like glory who have no wish for grace. They would have the wages, but not the work. The harvest, but not the labor. The reaping, but not the sowing. The reward, but not the battle, but it may not be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, we understand that it is the word of truth. It is your truth. It is for our lives. And Lord, help us if there is anyone here that needs to know Christ as their Savior, that they would pray a prayer of repentance even right now in their seat while I'm praying that, Lord, you would help us all to evaluate ourselves, our own lives, and see where we're at in this area of being unruly or undisciplined or lazy in any aspect of our life. Help us to come up with a, a plan for change, God. Lord, help us to be on the lookout for others that we can help and pour into. And Lord, we pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.